What is going on everyone? This is Miles with Windows Central Gaming and welcome to the 84th episode of Xbox Chatter Days. Today I am stoked to be joined once again for the first time in a little while by my good pal, the best hair in the biz, Jeff Grubb of Giant Bomb. Howdy. How's it how going, you, man? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. Glad to hang out with you. It's been a minute. Uh, I was going to make it happen a, a couple weeks ago with the Niagara Falls instead. It was beautiful, but not as beautiful as you are. Oh, so. see, I love here. I saw the pictures and it looked magical. It looked wondrous. But to think you could have exchanged that experience to sit in your office and talk to me remotely uh, Sorry, was right. a little hurt. Little hurt. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame you. I, I was hurt uh, on your behalf as well. I'm like, man, this is a, this waterfall. It's big and it's cold and and wet. And Miles is the opposite of all those things. He's a yeah. nice. He's a warm, a warm a, port in the storm. A, <laughs> warm, nice and dry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, excited to have you on. As always, you know, it's been a week. There's been a lot of developments surrounding the industry, surrounding money, surrounding people making money, people not making enough money, mm -hmm. people buying things. We're going to be diving into a bunch of that. We're going to be talking about some ongoing Activision controversies. We're going to be talking about a long rumored game finally coming to console. We're going to be talking about Square Enix's new strategy. We're going to be talking about acquisition rumors, settling the great physical versus digital debate once and for all, and so much more. But first, Jeff, get everybody up to speed. Last time you were on the show, we were living in the the post, the afterglow of Elden Ring and Steam Deck. Life, you yeah, know, life was that's right. beautiful. Everything was was perfect. You were working for GamesBeat back then, back in those days, and now that's you're right. over at Giant Bomb. So what's new? What what's been new with you? Yeah, it's uh, been a, a shift in jobs, but uh, uh, other than that, it's been, uh, hey, Elden Ring and the Steam Deck are still great. That's kind of what's <laughs> happened this year, where it's like, we had some high notes early on, and then the rest of the year's been kind of like, hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm starting a new job. I uh, well, kind of do a little bit less writing, a little bit more on-camera stuff now. I do a daily news show on Giant Bomb, and it's been just super great to kind of... Uh, build something uh, alongside a lot of other cool people who want to help make cool stuff over at giant bum and uh we've been working hard and it's been coming together and uh, you know it was we started in a, a like it was a weird transition there and people have been very receptive uh to what i've been doing so far so kind of been enjoying just trying to keep up the cadence of putting stuff out doing that daily show and then when um you know when people have cool ideas just hopping in and helping out my coworkers, making sure they can execute on that stuff it's been it's been a fun transition so far uh and i'm like like also kind of antsy to get back to do a little bit of writing but i'm like also i have no time because i do so much <laughs> video stuff now but you know i could always do that I could always go to GameSpot and say hey let me do some writing because they're one of our sister sites we got we got bought too that was pretty weird but it's also kind of been nothing but good things so far so uh it's it, it's been wild but i'm feeling pretty good about it yeah, it's been so cool to watch you get out there, spread your wings, try this new thing. And like you said, mm -hmm. the team over there, obviously, many people know them. They've been long-running, long-established, uh, a great group of people. So it's been really cool yep. to see you integrate with that team. You know, Thank you. Further expand the Grubverse, if you will. That's right. Uh, and that's been dope. And I know... Soon all things will be Grub. <laughs> <laughs> and we both moved since the last right. time you were on we were last time you were on we were both in colorado now we're just in completely yeah. different states you know yes so, we are. Um, i uh i moved uh over by lake erie i'm about 
of the five minute walk away from Lake Erie. It's right over there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I my move was pretty hectic. I'm sure yours was easy, right? Nothing, no, all easy stuff, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, do I let's just say I won't go into too much details because it's been it was a nightmare. I will say the first few weeks, absolute hellscape. Um, had a lot of regrets. Um, I was driving our moving truck and my wife got here a few hours before me. Um, I walk in the door and she's just in complete disarray, just, just <laughs> completely defeated. And I'm like, Oh no. Yep. And I had a lot so, of those moments too. Yeah. And mean. from there it was just, it's been one thing after another. Um, but mostly excited, mostly settled. Yeah. Once you get over the humps, it's like, uh, all right, this is actually, there's some cool stuff. And, uh, you know, we were really happy with the place we ended up getting. And, and uh, it was, I think we timed it out so that we bought a house at the last possible moment. We really would have been able to do so. Because uh, after that, it's all just gone bananas, nuts, crazy. So I am uh, just mostly grateful that it's done. And I don't ever want to move again. I don't ever want to do it again. I might never do it. I don't. Again. I don't want. I don't want to ever again. I will have to. Uh, I don't own this place, so eventually I will have to move at one point. But I'm going to put that off for as long as I possibly can because, like mm -hmm. you, I'm done, dude. I'm <laughs> I don't want to move anymore. Yeah, screw that. But we got a lot to talk about and some quick housekeeping before we get into it. If you are new to the show, we are live every Saturday at the, our new and improved time of 1 p.m. Eastern. If you are listening to the show on audio services, such as Spotify or Apple, drop us a review if you are digging the show. And with that out of the way, huge shout out to everyone who tunes in, huge shout out to everyone who hangs out. And let's talk about our first topic. So this week, Microsoft held a special broadcast celebrating the 25th anniversary of Age of Empires, one of their longest running video game franchises. Uh, after some rumors perpetrated by the likes of Jez Corden and others, um, the team has finally announced that Age of Empires is coming to console. There were a lot yep. of people within the community outraged, upset that Microsoft didn't simultaneously release Age of Empires 4 on Xbox and PC, given their unified platform approach. <laughs> but it's coming. Starting with Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, launching on January 31st, 2023, and then Age of Empires 4 coming sometime in 2023 as well. So you'll have two Age of Empires games to play on console. We've seen some early gameplay. They're going to be in implementing a radial wheel to try to make this a an enjoyable experience on a controller. Jeff, are you a big RTS guy? Does, not did a, this announcement do anything for you? Not a big one, and if I was going to play one, I would be playing it on PC anyhow. Um, I like definitely want to check into an Age, Age of Empires and or Age of Mythology here uh, pretty soon. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about like the, the, having, having them all at my disposal when I am ready for it, but it's not like, Oh, I'm going to be there day one or anything like that. That's sort of where I'm at. Age of empires two, very important game for me, a game I spent countless hours playing. Uh, I didn't actually do the campaign for the most part. I just went to the creative mode and created all these scenarios where it was like 10 Spartans versus 500 alligators to see who would survive. <laughs> and that was kind of what I loved about age of empires. So I'm interested to see how it plays because we've seen stuff like Halo Wars 2, I think, translate really well to a controller. I think that plays for yeah. an RTS really, really well. And I'm really curious to see how this feels because that's been the big concern is when they do this, is it even going to feel good to play? And so do you think they can 
convert that control scheme to a controller and have it be the experience that everyone wants it to be? I think it'll get close enough. Uh, it's never going to be perfect on console for these kinds <laughs> of games that were originally designed for PC. But uh, there's been a lot. There's been years and years of refinement of figuring out what this uh, of porting the experience, and they've mostly figured it out. There's been several real-time strategy games on console at this point, and people know what works and what doesn't. And again, it's always going to be just close enough. Never going to be perfect. No, it's never going to be perfect. And again, I think a lot of people, when you play on controller, we hear those arguments used for first-person shooters. Uh, the, the huge advantage you get with mouse and keyboard versus controller. Um, do you have any issues with Microsoft's staggered approach here? Because as I touched on, there are people in the community who feel that Microsoft, if they want to do this unified play anywhere approach, that they need to make sure that these releases roll out simultaneously. Do you think there's a fundamental problem staggering PC and console? No, I, I mean, I... I... <laughs> I get why people like they're oh this is the deal we had right deal, Microsoft we we already agreed to this you're going to release everything at the same time so when you don't do that that's a failure and I'm uh, I'd rather them stagger it out when it makes sense if you know there's only so many resources that can go into these things a PC first game like a real time strategy game come on let it go to PC first and then let that team themselves move it to console after they get all of these these issues fixed with the PC version and taken care of. It, it just, it makes sense in certain cases. So let them do it in certain cases. That's kind of where I'm at. Again, a lot of Microsoft's messaging right now is everything everywhere at the same time. So these omissions kind of stand out, but I do agree yeah. if this is a franchise like Age of Empires, where it is mouse and keyboard first, um, I'm not too upset if they decide to stagger it. If that means that the hardcore fans who want to play it as soon as possible can play it on PC because mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say that that's where a majority of the audience is for this franchise. I don't think that's yeah, really agreed. unfair. Um, so I personally don't mind. I understand why people complain about it. And it is interesting that their messaging kind of conflicts with that in some situations. But again, I think with random omissions here and there, it's, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where, uh, yeah, making games is messy, putting games out is messy, and even when you feel like you have a unified sort of stance on the way you are going to treat all games, you can find an exception if you go long enough, and I would much rather Microsoft be trying to do what's best for each game individually than trying to uh, do right by some vague promise they made at some point in the past. It, you know, it just doesn't make sense in this particular case, uh, and so fine, then let's let this be the exception. Yeah, because people have said that, okay, why don't you just enable mouse and keyboard for these games on console and just say, if you want to play this on console, you have to plug in a mouse and keyboard. And to that, I say, I think it would be really confusing and probably disappointing for a lot of people who see the game on the Xbox store. And I would say a, a big chunk of people don't bother looking at all the specific classifications and all the specific exceptions to what's included. And to have people buy that and think they can play it with the controller and then have to buy a mouse and keyboard. So I think it's just easier and cleaner if every game that goes to the Xbox store supports a controller. And I think that's the reason yes, they are staggering it. Uh, completely, yes. They, they should not put it out and just let say, you have to use mouse and keyboard. That doesn't make any sense. That would be very frustrating for a lot of people who aren't following the conversation by the game, but might see it in Game Pass and then be like, "Why? Wait, no, what? This is a console." That that would be, I think, make people way more angry than 
uh, the staggered release, really. And the staggered release is the kind of thing where, oh, yeah, it just makes sense. Yeah, I, I could see more people being upset by the fact that they need to buy a mouse and keyboard than just having to wait a little bit. Mm, um, totally. A super chat from Xbox Lost PlayStation 1. Our baby boy is thanks back. For, thanks for supporting the show. Appreciate everything you do. Appreciate you tuning in. And I appreciate you being part of the conversation. <laughs> Xbox Lost PlayStation 1. So he's saying, or they're saying, Jeff damage controlling Xbox? Clown doesn't play. There it is. Clown face emoji. Hell yeah. Is this true, Jeff? You don't even play Xbox? <sighs> I mean, I, I barely play any console. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, last time, let's see, last time I turned on my Xbox was about two weeks ago to play NHL. Uh, and before that, I, I just plugged in my PS5 really for the first time since we moved here to play a review game uh, this, this week, essentially. So uh, I'm almost all on Steam Deck and Switch and then my PC. That's where I'm playing most of my games. Yes, this is, this is totally fair. Uh, yeah, I, Xbox lost PlayStation 1. You, you got me. You, you got me. You got God, Jeff. Yeah, Caught in 4K. Caught in 4K, not playing a, a, a system. Uh, wow. They're going to come for me. They're going to come for me. Again, thanks for your support. Thanks for, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, yeah. Let's talk about some Activision controversies. Activision obviously has been in the conversation a lot because of the Activision Blizzard King acquisition that's on the table for Microsoft. Uh, they've also been in the conversation a lot because of things like Diablo Immortal and some monetization practices that people are unhappy with. And speaking of monetization practices that people are unhappy with, gamers are mad about Overwatch 2. Gamers are mad mean? about monetization in, in video in games. Gamers don't get mad. What, what do you mean? No, gamers are mad. Jeff, I don't know no, if you've no, been they, they on Twitter.com, but gamers are mad. That and they're sick right. of it. They're not going to stand for it anymore. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it. So, All right, if you insist. The latest Halloween event for Overwatch has brought a host of new skins. And some of those skins are very impressive. It also brought this really cool event the return of, or the bride of whatever, Junkenstein. I played it. It's cool. Uh -huh. It's fun. That's right. Um, unfortunately, it feels like a massive ad for all of the skins in Overwatch. It's filled with boss fights that just feel like, oh, look at this sick skin for Winston. And look at this skin for so-and-so. And it's just 15, yeah. 20 minutes of just these are the cool skins you can get. And with previous events, you could do in-game challenges and you could earn rewards. You could earn some of those skins. This time around, none of the skins can be earned. All of the skins you have to buy, and some of those bundles are about 25 bucks a pop. So 25 bucks, roughly half the price of a full-priced video game. So as more and more games lean into free-to-play, we've seen this with Halo Infinite. People were very upset about Halo Infinite's monetization um, because you had this established full-price thing, this franchise that people expected one way to enjoy and consume the content and earn content. And then with that switch to free to play, that changed fundamentally. So we, I want to have a broader conversation about this shift in the industry. So let's settle it, Jeff. What, what's the balance here? What is the perfect balance as more and more games inevitably go to free to play? How do companies manage budgets and expectations and make money while also not enraging the gamers online. So I, I, you cut out for me for a little bit, but you're back here. I, I think I got, the, I got the gist of it. Uh, basically, we're, we're wondering, like, is there a way for them to pull off this transition in a way that does not end up with angry gamers? Yes, that is, that is the, the ultimate question is how do you strike that balance? Will people ever be happy with what they provide? 
I, I you know, no one, no one's ever going to be happy when they're playing a video game. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> but you can get to a point where mostly the only people playing your game are the ones that are too busy or too, uh, or they're just too uh, like dulled or numb to it because they're used to the the cost of these things. That's what happened with valorant and a million other things that have really high price skins i mean call of duty fortnite as some people in chat are saying uh it's it's mostly the kind of thing where you know the, the people got used to it because that's just the way it is and they're like oh, okay well i'm gonna play this game that's just the way it is overwatch changed things so they have to deal with the anger from people being used to one way and now it's a new way and the new way feels worse to them than the old way and i bet there's some people who are like no this is better for me but then why would they what they're not going to go on there and be like, this is better for me. Hooray, everybody. Like, no one tweets that. You only tweet <laughs> when it's something you don't like. So um, it, it can feel extra loud, but uh, this, they're just going to have to go through this. This is just going to be the growing pain of Overwatch 2, and maybe they can find ways to navigate it a little bit cleaner than what they have been. I think that's almost certainly the case, and they haven't done that. But regardless, I mean, even like there was always going to be a point where people are going to be mad about, hey, where's the real price pain coming from in uh, Overwatch 2? It's coming from a different direction in a way that we've previously felt maybe we could earn this by just playing the game and you can't do that anymore. So yeah, people were going to get mad and you're just going to have to convince them that, okay, yeah, you're mad, but here, no, we're going to keep doing it because we really believe in this. And we'll have to, we have to see if that's what Blizzard's going to end up doing. We don't know if they're going to stick to it or respond to the audience and be like, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. And if they do that, is it like, okay, let's drop the price by a couple bucks and, or do they come fundamentally change how they do things? I think they're probably going to stick with this in the long run and just try to let people get over it, which usually we do. We usually we stop complaining here pretty soon after this. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point about the change being the, the catalyst of, of controversy for a lot of yeah. people. And that's a huge part of it. I see people in the chat talking about, well, Fortnite has $20 skins. Yeah, they do. They definitely do. You can spend a lot of money on skins in Fortnite. Um, mm -hmm. But that's how they started. There was nothing before. I mean, you could argue that I bought Fortnite. I paid 50 bucks for Fortnite back when it was something completely different. But in terms yeah. of the Battle Royale experience, in terms of what we know as Fortnite right now, there wasn't really anything before it. So they were able to implement that. And if you didn't like it, you just didn't engage with it. And if you did, you bought it. And yep. Overwatch being established full price game previously and making that transition, they're going to have that that curve and that hump and none of us want to pay money for anything. <laughs> Nobody wants to pay more money. Uh, again, it's free right. to play. So I think that is kind of, I think it's used as a justification for anything goes in a way that's, I don't want to say malicious cause that's a little aggressive, but the, the idea that because it's free to play, you don't get to criticize the monetization. I don't think that's the right approach here. We should no. We should look at it. We should look at how much money they're making. We should look at the value you get because no matter what the game is, you should never feel bad about putting money into it. You should never spend $25, $30, and then at the other side, regret that purchase. And if you, if players are feeling that way, then we need to ask some questions about the monetization. Um, yeah. It's got a kind of thing where uh, we really don't know how people are going to feel a, a couple of weeks about having spent $25 on this thing for, it's a skin and a few other cosmetic stuff for one character. Um, and then, you know, are you going to be using that character a lot? It's not like Fortnite where you can use that one skin in every single match, no matter what it is going to be. No, when you're playing that character, you get to see that skin. Um, maybe that's not a problem, but maybe it's enough where people are like, oh, 
it's not worth as much to me as the, a skin would be worth in Fortnite, where I get to use it all the time. Uh, that's a possibility, but there's a lot of questions still. And really, Blizzard needs to kind of just sit back, see, uh, you know, are people just throwing a tantrum because things move, uh, changed? You know, people, someone moved their cheese or whatever, or is this something that um, is going to be a long-term concern and people start spending a lot less money and the game isn't hitting its goals? If that's the case, they will change things. They will change things back or they'll make some other shifts. They'll figure something else out. Yeah, there's some really interesting psychology surrounding premium skins. And we see a lot of people online say, well, why is it this priced? Why is it so expensive? That's discouraging me from buying it. And there's psychology and there's data that shows because it's more expensive, that inherently has more value to the people who want it. And the fact that less people buy it kind of justifies that price point for them because it becomes more exclusive. It becomes more premium and you get to, you know, use it as a, a symbol of class. Look at me. I'm mm -hmm. balling. I paid $40 for this skin. Yo, I'm out here balling. I'm out here wearing my air Jordans on the court is kind <laughs> of what that correlates to for a lot of people. And I'm in the process of reaching out to some professionals to try to get some insights into the actual science behind that. But Cursory research suggests that that is the reason these skins are so expensive. They don't want every single person to buy them. That's not the goal here. Right. If they wanted every single person to buy these skins, they would make them three, four bucks. And you would, and you in turn probably would sell more quantity, but they want to feed into that idea that because I have this skin, I'm better. <laughs> I, I feel better about myself in the game because I was able to justify this purchase for myself. And therefore, I look cooler than your guy. And there yep. is there is some interesting psychology with that. And it's it's as we move into more games being free to play and more games being ongoing and having that social component, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this formula evolves or adapts. Do you think it's inherently fine to have hyper priced cosmetic skins? It's not new. Smite has a hundred dollar yeah. skins. League of Legends has really expensive skins. Yeah, I mean, is it? I mean, I don't know. I feel. I think it's it's legal, uh, <laughs> and I find it easy enough to ignore personally. So I'm just not going about my day thinking, man, we need to do something about this. We need to stop this. Um, but when I, you know, when I sit down and think, like, okay, is this it, it, all of it? You know, it's manipulation, and for a lot of people, that's enough to be like, well, I'm against it. And yeah, every, everything we deal with is a manipulation, you know, under capitalism. Everyone's trying to put you in the position to make you the most likely to, to spend money. And whatever that position is, and, you know, make you feel vulnerable, make you feel FOMO, make you uh, uh, see something you don't like in yourself to try to uh, put out a better image into the world. And therefore, they're going to prey on that, on those anxieties and manipulate you one way or the other. Uh, that's happening constantly. So it's just not, it doesn't, you know, rise to the occasion of, of again, we should be doing something about this. Uh, but I wouldn't call any of it fair, and I wouldn't call it any of it really enjoyable. Uh, but sure, I'm mostly I'm fine with it. Go go to town, try to make your money, get paid. A lot of people are working on these games. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna try to stop them. Yeah, and again, as you touched on beautifully, this isn't just video games. This this yeah. idea that things yeah. can be premium, so you pay more. We see it in in fashion constantly. We we see the memes where people put out a an image that shows this like $3,000 t-shirt. There's no reason on earth that that t-shirt should be $3,000. There's no justifiable reason, not the material, not what's on it, not the design. Outside of the fact that this is a designer brand and only a small handful of people will have it. 
And that's why. Mm-hmm. That, that scarcity is why it's $5,000, baby. And you either can get it or you can't afford it. And sorry if you can't afford it. Change your entire life so you can afford it. And we, we see it in everything. So it's not just video games. And I don't have the data to say that they are making too much money. Or I would like some of that information to come out so we can see how much the games make. What that translates to. To how people are paid. And ultimately what that means for future content. Because I think... As long as you are, let's say, a Fortnite, for example. We know Fortnite makes a buttload of money. But we also know that Fortnite is one of the most consistent games when it comes to putting out huge, noteworthy updates. They are constantly, Mm -hmm. fundamentally changing the game, doing events, putting on concerts. They're putting that money back in. And if Overwatch, six months from now, doesn't have a lot of new content, like you said, people aren't going to spend money on the game and they're just going to move on to something else. And I think that's going to be the big tell as to whether or not this is justified or fair. Yeah, I, but I agree. I've spent dumb money on skins, so I'm not here to tell anyone not Same. to do it. So Absolutely. I just spent 20 bucks to play as Ash in Fortnite, so I'm not here mm-hmm. to tell you not to buy it. All right. <laughs> I've spent yep. $30 on skins in Smite. You know, I'm, I'm part of the problem, you can say, if, if this I, is a problem uh, I, for you. I bought Ariana Grande. Well, actually, Dan bought it uh, on, on <laughs> in a taxi cab, coming back drunk from the comedy cellar, back to our hotel in uh, Fortnite. And then I, when we got to the hotel, then I bought it. Yeah, uh, because you want to be yeah. in a match and you want to dab, dab on the corpses of your friends, synchronize. Exactly. Yeah, it's the FOMO. You you, you want to be a part of it. You yeah, know, I didn't when the Dragon Ball out. event came, every single person in my squad, we dropped money so yep. we could be Goku, Vegeta, and Bulma. We all and, and, we all showed up that the week money. before John Cena. So John uh-huh. Cena, Goku, the, the team up we've all been asking for finally happened <laughs> yeah. in Fortnite. Hallelujah. What a time to be a gamer. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's wrong, I don't want to be right, baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. I got to give a quick shout out to all the amazing people joining us live. If you are digging the show, hit that like button, share it out. I'm going to get to a couple super chats here. First up, we got Georgie who says, ask Jeff about Killer Instinct 2 and any Xbox partnerships in Japan. X- Xbox can do so much more than right now. Work with Mistwalker, JP Games, Bandai, etc. Um, Jeff, do you know where's Killer Instinct 2? Uh, I mean, I know they want to make it, but I don't know if, if, if they've really started in earnest. Uh, you know, the, the, the issue earlier on was uh, Iron Galaxy is busy, and we now we know why Iron Galaxy was busy. They were working on Rumbleverse. Uh, but I imagine Rumbleverse is going to keep them busy. So Iron Galaxy likely still off the table to work on a Killer Instinct. Have they been able to find another team? I don't know. I I, I bet by now they probably have, but that's just a guess. Yeah. And what was the other question? Um, basically, just commenting on the fact that Xbox can do more in Japan. Yeah. Yes, that's absolutely right. They uh they they want to do more in Japan. I mean, that was the whole thing with the Kojima report early on for me was, hey, yeah, they're gonna work with Kojima, and that's gonna sort of serve as uh, a guide or you know a signpost to other developers in the space that you know Microsoft is here and they're ready to partner up and to provide support. And look at what look at all they're gonna do for Kojima. They will give you some stuff like that as well if you want. Uh, but it's it's a it's a slow moving process, and they're still. You know, they, they just were all in Japan, a lot of executives from Microsoft pretty recently. I bet a lot of meetings did happen. I bet a lot of um, progress was made, but whether or not we see the results of that anytime soon, no idea, but probably not. Yeah, Xbox has people stationed in Japan now. They have a, a team dedicated yes, to building do. that market. 
Um, again, I haven't been able to corroborate this, but I've gotten information from folks privately about account executives assigned to publishers, like a Square Enix, for example, that their entire mm -hmm. job is to build that relationship, establish partnerships, lock some content down. Um, what I love most about their approach, their strategy, their dedication is following Persona, which was a big deal. The announcement that the Persona franchise was coming to Xbox and launching in Game Pass, big deal. They've obviously put a ton of marketing money behind that. Um, and that has translated to it being one of the top played. I think it hit the top five played games on Game Pass. So they are committed tangibly. They are showing you that they are committed. Um, but they're also, Phil, immediately after that, was basically said, we're not done. Work's not done. Like, cool, we got mm -hmm. Persona, but that's not it. That's not enough. And that energy I, I love because it's true. Like, the Xbox, for a long time, did not do enough to partner with these teams. And because they didn't, these teams did not care to work with Microsoft. There was no incentive for them to do it. And so they have a long, hard battle ahead of them to correct that. And if they start investing in teams, like you said with Kojima, they start investing beyond that and getting a lot of cool partnerships. I think Wolong is an interesting, tangible piece of evidence that says they're committed to that as well. But I think moving forward, we're going to see some, some bigger and probably some exclusive projects as well that say, all right, this is what you get and what you can do if you partner with Xbox. And they're gonna make sure that these first few big partnerships um, are, a, are a statement to the fact yes. that if you were in Japan and you want a bunch of money to make a game, come on, come on over, baby. Let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's talk. Yeah, and you wanna make the game you wanna make too. Like, yeah, they're, they're gonna provide it for you. Because as we're seeing with our Konamis and Squares, we're gonna talk about Square more in just a second. They're scared to spend money. They're very risk averse. Mm -hmm. They are trying to limit the amount of money they spend as low as possible. Um, and if you have a figure like PlayStation and if you have a figure like Xbox saying, all right, they don't want to spend the money, but we will. That's, that's enticing. That is really enticing because we know that making a game is more and more expensive and it's getting more expensive by the day. And so you need that stability. You need that financial support. Um, and companies like Microsoft, quite frankly, can take the risk where other companies can't because of the, mm -hmm. the Microsoft component of their business. Square That's Enix right. doesn't have an office 360 behind the scenes just funneling no. money in constantly. No, I mean, they have Final Fantasy XIV. That's the kind of their, their equivalent. That's oh, what they're relying yeah. on. Anything short of that, though, is, not, is, is just not contributing to the same long-term success that Square seems to desperately want, so, or, you know, or any company would desperately want. Uh, the Andrew 13 asks... Speaking of the 25th anniversary earlier, Jeff, will we see a new slash remade Fallout before five? I can't imagine Microsoft keeping the series on ice until 2030. Are we, for the, the poor Fallout fans who are struggling, who are hurting because the reality is Bethesda proper won't make a Fallout for a long ass time. <laughs> Do you think we'll get something to tide them over before five? I think we'll get something. Yeah, I think we get something. Um... It would be much, much more likely if we hadn't gotten Fallout 76, right? But we got Fallout 76, and internally, I mean, externally, we all know that like, a lot of people will feel, well, that's not what we mean. That doesn't count. Internally, I bet they feel a little bit differently. They're probably looking at the numbers, being like, hey, Fallout fans are getting served right now. We have something for them, Fallout 76. Uh, that's not super compelling to me, although I'm, I've gotten the urge to go back to Fallout 76 here in the <laughs> last couple of weeks. I might try to make it happen at work. Oh, we'll I got see. the itch, yeah. Yeah, I know, I got the itch, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, to answer, you know, the heart of, what you're, of your question here, Andrew, 
you know, waiting a long time for that next proper Fallout from Bethesda Game Studios. That seems like such a long-term prospect. There has to be something that happens before that, right? I think so. I agree. Um, whether that is something from Obsidian, a very busy studio, but, you know, there's been, you know, I said I reported this before. There was a conversation, and it might not be much more than a conversation at this point, but there's a conversation saying Obsidian, Fallout New Vegas, follow-up, Fallout New Vegas 2, Maybe maybe we should be doing that. Maybe we should figure out a way to make that happen. You know, that's about as far as it got, as far as I heard. But like, they at least, or everyone involved is at least considering that that is a pretty good idea. Yeah, as you touched on, Obsidian, very busy. They are also they have also proven to be one of the most efficient modern developers right now. The amount of projects yeah. that they can do simultaneously and put out in a relatively and reasonable amount of reception. Time. I mean, the the. The buzz around Grounded got very good there at 1.0. Just a lot of people very into that game uh, to the point where I'm like, we, we still intend to go back and play some of the Giant Bomb and, and do a stream of that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited now. I played a little bit on my own. I can tell it's going to be a very good co-op game. So it's like, okay, this is a team that's really making it happen and knows what they want and knows how to execute. And that's... um. Uh, if Yeah, give them give them back Fallout. Let's do another one Let's, from them. That would be yeah, great. Just, just for the fans, like... Just to tie them over, because I agree. If we are waiting for Fallout Five, I think it's at least twenty thirty. Because at least they yeah. probably really haven't even started that much work on Elder Scrolls Six. We know it's a thing. There's pre-production. I don't know if it's officially in active development, especially with a Starfield delay. Um, yep. So it's going to be a hot minute before. And this is their transition to a new engine. So not only yep. do they have to make this game, they have to set the new foundation for the future of their project. So it's. Elder Scrolls alone is going to be a, a wait. We're going to be waiting yes, a, little, a little while for that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the prospects for a Fallout 5, they are looking so distant. And I can't imagine that we go a full decade, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yep. Jeremy G with Super Chat says, did someone say grub hype? <laughs> Woo! Just some hype. Yeah, love the energy. Love it. Yodani says, treat this Super Chat as a skin and token of my eliteness Ooh. as a chat member and supporter of this content. I oh, yeah. I knew I ascended as an English speaking insect to call me. A, <laughs> uh, uh, that situation. All right, so that's yeah, fun stuff. We talked about this briefly, but we're going to be diving into Square Enix. We touched yeah. on Xbox in Japan. We're going to be talking about some developments that have come out regarding Square Enix. And we know the industry is rapidly changing. We know companies like Konami and Square are trying to reevaluate their business and, and stay nimble and stay relevant in this space, a space that is rapidly shifting. And as we're seeing day in day, we have companies like Microsoft and Tencent willing to throw down money, big money, to secure content and secure projects. And so Square, they sold off their Western division earlier. This year, they've talked about setting up, I think they officially announced that they set up a blockchain division in February. Whew, good Lord. Um, so they're making some moves. Whether they're going to be good moves or not, it's clear <laughs> that Square Enix is reevaluating their business. And so this week, we got some interesting statements from the president of Square Enix about their, their new strategies and what the company wants to do moving forward. So according to a business update, the president of Square Enix has said that the Japanese market alone is no longer, quote, no longer sufficient to recoup investments and generate profits. And they, he goes on to say that they need to have success in a global market. So 
we also know that Square is having outside companies invest. They want to get outside mm-hmm. teams coming in to invest, co-publish more likely, as we saw with Konami and the Silent Hill situation. Konami isn't taking on the financial risk entirely for almost any of these projects. They're right. like, okay, we'll co-publish with XYZ, and there's all these other bodies involved, so that risk is minimized for them, and we know Square is hyper-risk averse. So, Jeff, what does the future look like, given all these updates, given how they've shifted their business? They ironically sold off their Western studios and then come out, come out and said that Japan isn't enough for us to be uh, profitable. What's the future hold for Square Enix? Yeah, I, I mean, it seems really precarious uh, in terms of, well, you know, is Square Enix as we know it going to be around for the long term? Uh, to me, this reads a lot like they did some work and some conversations to position themselves for potential acquisition or merger, and then everything changed and the uh, the economies, you know, the recessions were looming a lot larger and uh, interest rates started going up. And so whoever they were talking to that was going to borrow a lot of money, well, the rates just went up on that potential loan. They didn't lock it in uh, before before that started happening. And now acquiring Square, Square Enix no longer makes any sense. So leaving Square Enix in the lurch, and now Square Enix is like looking around like, okay, wait, what we thought one thing was going to happen, that's not going to happen anymore. How do we secure our future and make ourselves even less exposed to risk? And this idea of... Being like, well, listen, we'll make games. We have a lot of talent. We have a lot of IP, but we don't want to use it unless someone else is coming in and taking on some of the risk and by uh, acquiring stakes in our development studios. That's a weird prospect, and it's one that does not fill me with a lot of confidence in that uh, Square Enix believes in video games. And so that's, you know, it's 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 worrisome. Uh, and what do you know? What do these investors look like? Is this going to mean some some like Microsoft's going to come in or PlayStation's going to come in and uh, provide a lot of money, a lot of money, and then they'll get a stake in the studio? I, I suppose that's possible, but also seems it's just as likely that Tencent would would step in there and do that. And does that have any ramifications? Um, I I don't know. But my my you know my gut reading here is this seems like a, a publisher that is afraid of trying things and therefore will have a very hard time succeeding no matter who they end up partnering with. It is really interesting to have all of these seemingly contradictory statements come out from Square. Because in mm-hmm. this report, they also talk about how they need to invest and deliver really high-profile, compelling titles to succeed. So they are talking about the fact that they do need to invest aggressively and make sure that they're putting out titles that people want to buy. So they understand that they can't just put out anything and these low-budget projects exclusively aren't going to be enough to keep them going. But then they also talk about aggressively leaning into partners. And it is really interesting when we look at Square and we look at Konami and we look at these established publishers who have beloved legacy IP that carry a lot of weight. Final Fantasy, um, for example. PlayStation clearly was willing to step in and say, all right, we're going to help you pay to get Final Fantasy, but that's going to be exclusive for at least a little while. We want to make sure that we're, we're getting back our return on investment on that. Um, so when they talk about partnering with other publishers, with other developers, selling off stakes in some of their development teams, which is even weirder. So does that mean development teams who are owned by Square are going to work on non-Square games? (laughs) What do the next major releases look like when we go beyond Final Fantasy 16 and Forspoken? What do those look like for Square given this strategy? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. If, you know, if Forspoken is going to come out, we have to see how that does. But you get the at least the hint, maybe that it's it's going to come and go. Uh, maybe that's not going to be the case. Maybe it will surprise people. But right now, you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily talking about it. And if that does fizzle out. Uh, does that scare Square Enix off even more? Like, hey, we tried something and it didn't work. Uh, uh, you know, maybe we could try something else, but or maybe we shouldn't be trying at all. And we should only be doing stuff when we can get some guarantees in place in terms of how much money we're going to make or how much risk we're going to expose ourselves to. Um, yeah, I think that they don't know what it's going to look like, so it'd be hard for us to guess. I think they are uh, trying to be very reactionary to the, the market and kind of waiting for th opportunities to come up. And you kind of can't be that way as a publisher in gaming. At least, you know, in my opinion, you, you will, you're, you're going to struggle to succeed if you are not trying to push things forward yourself. If you are not being aggressive and putting your your teams on the best footing instead of having them back on their heels, being like, well, now we need this. Now, having your team back on their heels is how you end up with something like Gotham Knights over at WB, where it's like, uh, you know, okay, we're maybe a Batman game. No, not quite a Batman game. Maybe try something else. Uh, Maybe do a Suicide Squad game. No, actually, Rocksteady wants to do a Suicide Squad game. So do something kind of like that. You guys already began work on that. Change it up, and, you know, and use these characters instead. That it's just you, you need to be you need to operate with vision within games, and you need to believe in games. And some companies are moving in that direction. You get the sense that EA has been recently, where they're like, hey, we believe in in all types of games now. And of course, we're going to keep still making live service games, but we're also going to make. Uh, a couple of Jedi Knight games, and we're going to make a Dead Space remake, and we're going to bring back Skate, and we're going to incorporate multiplayer when it makes sense. Uh, but either way, like it's uh, obvious that EA feels like it has a vision uh, right now compared to the EA of the past uh, decade or whatever. Um, and, and Square Enix just really feels like, man, we're glad we have Final Fantasy fourteen. We're glad we stumbled into having one of the you know most successful games of all time because of the vision of one person we put that we have that person now working on final fantasy 16 so that's good too everything else though just feels well i are we going to be able to find an audience so they put out a lot of games this year square enix there's they did they put a out a ton shitload of games we're like in a middle still in the midst of a parade of, of square enix games and i'm some of them are pretty good it's just are like that's Square Enix is not talking about the success of these games that it's putting out. It's already talking about all right. We're past that. Going forward, we're gonna be doing things completely differently than the way we got. We ended up with all of these games. It's like okay, then I I don't know. It doesn't just it sounds to me like you don't believe in what you're doing. So um, my if I had to place a bet, it would be like Square Enix probably is going to have a couple more years of of farting about before it really figures out a new vision. I wonder if their approach is going to a sh shift because as we saw this year, they put out a ton of games, a lot of games, but not to say that the games were bad, but there were a lot of games that they clearly didn't invest a lot of resources in. Like the team, the teams clearly weren't given huge budgets to elevate these franchises. And it's the polar opposite strategy of Capcom, who is arguably yeah. the most successful Japanese publisher right now. Their, their strategy has been proven to be effective financially and critically. They took some huge risks with Resident Evil 7, which was the kickoff of this, this new approach. They said, all right, everything you know about Resident Evil, we're going to change that. We're going to really mix that up with this game, and hopefully that works. Hopefully people, we're going to commit to this idea, we're going to go all in on this idea, and we hope it resonates. And that was such a huge boon. And then since that moment, almost all of their IP, all of their franchises have gotten that same care, that same attention, mm -hmm. and people are buying it because Capcom is committing 
to putting out really, really good games and a wild concept. But if you do that, people will want to buy those games. And yeah. it seems it's obviously that's an oversimplification of, of what goes into making a game. But at the same time, Capcom has proven without a shadow of a doubt that if you do that, people will buy your established IPs in ways that they've never bought them before. And so it makes me wonder why if you're Square Enix, why are you ignoring what Capcom is doing and saying, we're going to do the opposite of that. We're not going to invest in our own teams. We're going to have other teams come in and we're going to have people buy stakes of our teams and have those people work on other projects outside of our own projects. <laughs> why? Why? Mm -hmm. Why on earth yep. would you do that? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, the the blueprint is right there. You know, you you have a whole bunch of Final Fantasy games that you could take the Unreal Engine and just kind of go and make them remake them one at a time, just like Resident Evil games, and they would be the, some of the biggest releases of the year. And they're not they're not doing that. Instead, they're doing kind of weird remakes with with like you know the, the, the from uh, Team Ninja and stuff like that. And that you know that seemed to work a little bit. The Stranger of Paradise was definitely something that. A lot of people really enjoyed, but also didn't set the world on fire. I think had it been like a proper Final Fantasy One remake, uh, they uh, it probably would have done much better. And that's you know, and that's what Capcom has done to great effect. Uh, and now Capcom feels like they are on the precipice of like skyrocketing Dragon's Dogma Two into this next stratosphere of success because they're just on such a winning streak. I think people are going to be paying attention. Yeah, I think it's time. And uh, but and Square Enix just feels the complete opposite right now. One final question on this topic here, because this is something I've been thinking about following these these statements from the president and looking at the recent approach with Final Fantasy and PlayStation. Do you think that moving forward because of this approach that almost every single Square game is just going to be relocated to an exclusive for Xbox, PlayStation, or Nintendo? Because these teams are going to have to come in and essentially pay to get that game out? I, I think for some of the bigger ones, that seems a very likely scenario, and that probably means, for the most part, exclusive to PlayStation, because I think that's the... I think they think that PlayStation is the best opportunity to make their games worldwide successes while also being able to afford the bill of paying Square Enix, and uh, Nintendo and Microsoft might consider it, but Nintendo's definitely going to say no in the end, and, and Microsoft's be like, hey, we, we will do it, but we're not going to pay a significant amount more than Sony's going to pay, and then if that's the case, they're like, Sony or Square Enix would be like, okay, then we're going to go with PlayStation because they have a bigger audience. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a lot of the, like a lot of what we've seen so far with Square Enix's games being timed exclusive, I think a lot of that's going to continue. And I think, you know, they'll, they'll continue to find people interested in making those deals for, for sure. Yeah, I think it's easier to go with PlayStation in a lot of ways because the, the audience is there and we know that it's an easier option for square to go with playstation because playstation can say your games do well on our platform anyway so mm -hmm. we're going to give you a smaller amount to make it exclusive because it's pretty much guaranteed money for you whereas xbox has to come in and if they want to throw down they really do have to throw down because mm -hmm. we've seen time and time again that xbox game or square titles sell significantly less on xbox when it comes to some of those, those bigger franchises but we've also had figures like Sarah Bond come out on stage very recently and specifically mention Square Enix as a, as a partner. And I thought that was interesting and strange, and a lot of people memed on it because uh, are you strong partners? You, you called Square Enix a strong partner, but it doesn't feel that way. And I don't know if that was just PR because they're working behind the scenes or if they are going to be actively working on a project together behind the scenes that we, aren't, that we don't know about. But... 
Yeah. I know definitively that Xbox has people who want Square, who really, really want Square. And I can't imagine that even if the bill is really high, that they're just not going to invest in some kind of project. I don't know if it's going to be Final Fantasy level, but I have to imagine that we're going to see some sort of exclusive Xbox Square project just because of how, regardless, I know a lot of the Xbox community is writ written off Square and says that Square hates Xbox gamers, but... The reality is Xbox doesn't hate Square. Xbox understands that Square is a big portion of that audience and that that genre, and they don't unfortunately have the luxury to be like, all right, I guess we just won't do any business with you. So I have to imagine there's something going on behind the scenes, but let's have to wait and I, see. I think, I think there's probably conversations. I bet Microsoft does consider them a strong partner. I think that uh, if if Square Enix is really shifting into this mode where um, they need partners to make any sort of risk sort of acceptable to them, in that scenario, Microsoft is it seems inevitable to be one of the companies to step in because yeah, sure, Sony might have a lot of money to put toward towards deals. I think it's so much money that it would saturate uh, Square Enix with work. I think there's going to be teams left over and opportunities for Microsoft to step in. But hey, you know, make this next thing for us or whatever, right? Yeah. Make the next vagrant story for us. That'd be, yeah. That'd yeah. be cool. Do that. Yeah. Do, do something. Yeah, exactly. Have an important IP to a lot of people and reinvent it in a way. Like, like you talk about Dragon's Dogma. That didn't set the world on fire when that launched. Like that wasn't a huge commercial success by any mm -hmm. means. But now, like all these years have gone by, people have played the game that's built this cult following. And if they really invest in Dragon's Dogma 2 and have it be this standout massive release, you can guarantee the audience is going to grow. And so that's what I want to see from some of the the portfolio that Square has, because they do have an impressive portfolio of IP under their belt, but they just aren't giving the teams the time and resources to do anything exciting with them. Yep, agreed. Quick shout out to the 230 awesome people joining us live on Xbox Chatterdays. If this is your first time, Thank you for tuning in. We are live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. If you are digging the show, hit the like button, share it out. I'm going to get to a super chat here from Assassin, who says, Did you gentlemen hear the supposed rumor that Sega internally is surprised at how well-received the launch of Persona 5 is on other platforms? Yep. I, I mean, this, is, this sounds... I think it's almost uh, something they've said ex explicitly that, um, oh, they're, they've been surprised at how well Persona has performed when they put it in other places. Um, and that is, that sounds right for Sega. They, they Sega and Atlas where they just don't believe that the games are going to sell. If they put it elsewhere and some, like they put out a million surveys beyond, Hey, do you want this? And everyone's like, God, yes. yes what are you what doing? Are you doing? <laughs> Please just do it. And then they do it. And then it sells very well. And they're like, Oh my God, you guys see how much money we're making. Let us buy like, your game. You we would do this. <laughs> We've been begging you to let us give you money for forever. Uh, Yeah. Sega and Atlas are just legit bad at this. They are bad. They're good at making some games. But they're really bad at everything else involved in, in selling those games. Uh, so, yes, they probably are surprised. And I'm not surprised that they have found themselves being like, what is happening here? Because, you know, they were never paying attention. Yeah. And I, I hope that means moving forward that it's just a given that their games are going to be more places. Because mm -hmm. I think they are probably seeing that if they put their games more places, they make more money, generally speaking. Uh, especially, you know, with this Game Pass deal and Switch being the RPG juggernaut that it is. If you put yep. those games there, you're, you're getting money. That's You're, you're definitely going to make money, especially with a franchise like Persona that has just 
established that cult following, just really leaned into its audience. And you have the the persona sickos constantly harassing everyone online to play these games. And again, mm -hmm. now that people can, people are like, oh yeah, this is dope. And so that's going to have a lot more energy when Persona 6 comes around. And hopefully that doesn't mean it's a weird limited time exclusive because I think that franchise at this point clearly is is bigger than that. And I would hope it just gets the, the Elden Ring level of just flowers where everyone is talking about it. Everyone's playing the next mainline game. Yeah, it seems to be, uh, you know, they, they've said as much that they are going to change the way they release games going forward to be much more global, much more pl uh, pl multi-platform. Uh, it's just frustrating it took all this time to realize that because it's been literally a decade of people begging for these games to come to other other platforms and uh once they do it oh once they start seeing the money coming in now they're convinced it's like we, we told you the money would have came if you would have just done this forever ago yeah how long persona's been going for at least 20 years right yep yeah persona ps2 about, was the first one yeah about 20 years old yep Ooh, yeah, man. but but really it's like persona like persona with persona 3 and that's about you know it's older than 10 years now right uh that that is uh that's when it really started with like people like hey this should be elsewhere why isn't this elsewhere and then uh it took that only came to steam like right last year right or the year yeah. before that so yeah it's mm -hmm. so what a concept what you put your games yep. more places and people will buy them it's just a, it's a wild idea it's a wild world and that's mm -hmm. again i think that's why a lot of again it's oversimplifying but that's a lot why a lot of people on the outside look at exclusivity and say I need to know what this number is to make this worth it for you because I hope it's a lot. Yeah. I, ho I hope it's a lot of money and, and it's a much easier to get that bulk amount of money up front than it is to hope your game sells because we've yeah, seen absolutely. plenty of amazing games come out that have not sold well. And that that's scary. That is, that is mm -hmm. a really scary feeling. And if someone steps in and says, yo dog, we're going to give you all this money right now. I'm like, Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Jeff, we got to talk about Xbox financials because we've yeah, gotten some it. interesting uh, statements from Papa Phil. Mr. Phil Spencer, CEO of Microsoft Gaming, was on Wall Street Journal Live talking about the future of Microsoft Gaming, which, which gave us some interesting insights into how the company's doing, what they want to be doing. And the first thing I want to talk a little bit about is potential price increases. Because nobody wants to hear that. Nobody, nobody wants to pay more for anything. We, we just had PlayStation get lambasted by the, the, the entire yeah. world for raising the price of the PS5 in certain regions. Everywhere but America. God bless the USA. Um, mm, we did it. Once we did, again, we USA, did it. number one. Yeah, number one. <laughs> but yeah, people are, are concerned. Obviously, the economy for a lot of people is not doing well. We've seen a lot of layoffs in a lot of gaming-related sectors. Even Microsoft, who seemed... I don't, I don't want to say immune, but it seems like a trillion or two trillion dollar company, right? That's they what it seems like. They laid off a thousand people, which is yeah. that's a, it's only one percent of their workforce, but still, that's a lot of people. And so, a lot of people. There's a lot of question marks about financials. And so, Phil had this to say about the the future and the possibility of plat Xbox platform price increases. This is a quote for us running the business. We have to look at the return on our business, the cost of business. We've held price on consoles and held price on games and our subscription. I don't think we'll be able to do that forever. I do think that at some point we'll have to raise some prices on certain things, but going into this holiday, we thought it was really important to maintain the prices that we have because consumers right now 
are more uncertain than they have been in a long time. So let's, let's discuss the implications of this. Because I love Phil, I respect the hell out of Phil, but he is always so deliberate with his words. And he has to be, because he is the CEO of Microsoft Gaming. So everything that he says probably has to be vetted by a lot of people to make sure that it is not conflict, it's not something that's going to be conflicted later on. What are, what are your reads on this statement regarding the, the, the possibility of Xbox increasing its prices? Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like the only factual thing we got there is the prices aren't going up this holiday. Yep. And then after that, they might go up someday. Okay, well, okay. yeah, prices go up over time. <laughs> like, I'm not too surprised. I, um, I am uh, maybe a little bit surprised that he's including ho- console hardware there. Uh, but I think it, I still think if, if the hardware prices go up, it'll be because they introduced a new model that has like, you know, twice the storage or something like that, though. They will try to play it off in a way that Sony did not. Um, and that would still, to me, count as a hardware price increase. If, if let's say that goes up and it, or if that comes out and it's $550 or something like that, that would, to me, I would still count that as a price increase, even though technically it's, oh, it's just a new model. Well, that's not how they view it. They view it as the average sales price they're trying to get out of consumers. So, mm-hmm. so it would be a price increase. But um, of course, the price of both games and subscription services will go up over time. That was, it, it, nothing cost as much as it did, you know, 20 years ago, except for like the hot dog at Costco and that's literally it. Everything else has gone up. So uh, Arizona if, tea, Arizona tea. So yeah, they got the little stickers, right? They started putting the stickers on the Arizona tea, even where it's like, yeah, it's actually we're going to charge a dollar twenty nine or whatever. Um, it's uh, it's the kind of thing where okay, so you know how much and when, and really we still don't know the answers to to any of those things. Um, but I, I I'm not like I'm I'm just not too worried about it yet until it actually happens and then once we get there we can have the conversation about whether it's worth it I don't know if they're suddenly going to be able to pull off charging seventy dollars for games this generation that probably have to start somewhere and where do you and where do you start that or is it just a across the board move one day every game coming out at this point is going to be seventy dollars instead of sixty and is that really going to make enough of a difference to make it make sense for microsoft uh, i i don't know but i mean i think he just answered this question as honestly as he could as he could right now this holiday we're not raising prices after that we might raise it someday of you know we look at our costs we look at our profits and we make choices but yeah every business does so it's it's just that's as much as i feel like we can actually read into this and then there's the other side of where it's like, but hey, Game Game Pass, I mean, meanwhile, is profitable. That's news. That's the headline that like we didn't see a lot, in a lot of places. That's like, oh, okay, so they're doing good on that. And then they might just raise prices in the future as they feel they need to. Okay, well, of course. Yeah, again, Phil Spencer's not in a position where he can't say, where he can say that we'll never increase prices because <laughs> yeah, that's just not. irresponsible. That's not <laughs> no. how a business works. You don't get to be like, we're just going to hold fast on this regardless of what happens and, and hope for the best. So I think this was just kind of, as you touched on, him addressing the recent developments with PlayStation and other, other folks raising prices. Um, when I look towards what's next for Xbox, when I look towards how this might be rolled out, if I'm if I'm Xbox, if I'm pushing this value centric approach and I'm in a position where, all right, we do need to consider raising prices. I don't think it's going to be a simultaneous. All right, we're going to increase game price, game pass price and hardware price simultaneously. I think they if they were in a position where they needed to do that, it would be more of a gradual rollout. And I think that would start with $70 games. And Agreed. I. I don't think Microsoft is going to do blanket all of our games are $70, but I do think their biggest games 
and let's use Starfield as an example, I could absolutely see them saying, all right, this is the, the biggest project from Bethesda ever. We put a lot of time into it. You know, um, this is a $70 game. Start there. And there will be people who will buy that at $70 without question, for sure. And then you're also in a position where that byproduct increases the value of Game Pass. And so you have mm -hmm. a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't want to pay 70 bucks, but I can play it on Game Pass. And so they subscribe to Game Pass, and then hopefully you get that those people locked in. You keep consistent content. And then down the road, moving on, you can be like, all right, well, now, now that we have a bunch of set really good $70 games in Game Pass, we're going to have to raise the price of Game Pass a little bit. And I think that would be Microsoft's approach, is to kind of you know, slowly just peel that Band-Aid up. Not, and like not... slowly like raise the price of Game Pass too. People are like, uh, they're going to raise it by $5 right away. And maybe they will, but they don't have to. They could raise it by $1 one year, $1 mm -hmm. the next year, maybe skip a year, come back, raise it $2. I think it just do it slowly over time. But you don't even uh, notice. It's... You don't even notice on your statement. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's, Netflix has, you know, gotten pretty expensive for me. And it was, yeah, it was the slow boiling water thing where it's like, you know, kind of didn't notice. I, I mean, I feel like I started paying... Seven ninety nine at some point, maybe ten dollars a month, whatever it was, and now it's you know with, with the HD or the four K plan, it got up to twenty dollars all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a can't. I don't need four K. Fuck, I don't like four K that much. I'll I'll save a couple bucks, and it's like, well, it's already creeping back up near twenty dollars even without that. So, um, yeah, it it they they'll definitely do that at some point. Like they were always going to do that. Everyone's going to raise prices. Uh. It's just uh, maybe he's laying the groundwork now to prepare people for that. And that's why it feels more imminent to me. This just feels like him being on a stage, answering a question in a way that feels uh, like he did not lie to people who might potentially be investors. Exactly. And that's exactly, there's a reason that people appreciate Phil and like Phil because he's very deliberate with his words and you don't ever get a sense that he is lying to you. He's, he can't always give you the direct answer that you want but we so far haven't had a statement from Phil that feels like he was being malicious or or anything like that. And I, I think that's why he's just such a respected figure in the industry, regardless mm -hmm. of your platform presence. Uh, he's just a he's a really refreshing CEO because he just he has an air of authenticity that we don't get in business frequently. Because a lot of times like Jim Ryan gets clowned on a lot because he feels like a businessman and he is a businessman. And not to say that that's negative, but when you're at, I mean, when it's, you're at... it's negative for a, an audience like us and, yeah, yeah. and the, the conversations we have where it's like, oh, he does not feel like he's speaking our language. Well, he's not. He's speaking the investor's language and they yeah. like him and it's not a bad thing from their perspective. I and mean, for us, it's like, oh, this, this guy seems like a suit and he's like he's never played a game and all that stuff's true. But like, what matters more, obviously, making money matters more. Yeah. And for us having these conversations, I don't care really how much these companies make. Uh, unless it directly means that the games they put out are better. That's for me, yep. that's kind of, if people are getting paid better and the games are better, then I'm happy. I'm good. Uh, otherwise, yep. yeah. I don't really care how much money Jim's making or their investors are making. Um, right. And, uh, and you know, I'll, uh, I'll reassess uh, my, my Game Pass subscription going in the future if they raise the price. Because uh, it's like, you know, if you need to raise the price to make more money, that's just not my problem. I, you know, I'll, I'll look at this as, as well, you know, is it a good deal for me? If it continues to be a good deal for me, even if they raise the price, I will stick around. Uh, but that's up to them to convince me. So we'll, we'll see. And exactly. you know, that's the risk. That's the risk they're going to take. And but of Balls course they're going to do court, it. All right. Of course they're going to do it. Like yes, like it's just without a doubt, at some point in the future, you'll be paying more money than than you are now for uh, everything. 
Yes. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on, but it is going to be up to you to decide what that value is and what the, what the limit is. Because I've done that with you know Netflix and other subscription services where the price keeps going up and then I look at realistically how often I'm even using it. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus, prime example. Um, that that went up and I was like, I don't I don't use that enough. I cannot justify paying whatever it is per year, per You'll month. Just wait until Andor's fully done, then you'll watch it all in one go. I yeah, exactly exactly. Yeah. Come in, <laughs> you know, cheat the system, binge it out, and then right. shut it down. All right. Yeah, do it. I mean, that's sorry, Bob. That's people people are always like, ah, we cut cable and now we got cable services again. Like, well, no, in cable you could not just cancel like ten of your channels and save money all at like for a couple of months. It was like it was either all or nothing, and then yeah, there were some premium packages on top of that, but you were not picking and choosing like you can with with these subscription services. So if you're willing to do the work, it is still better. Yeah, you're still empowered to have the decision, whereas before it's like, oh, like it would be if Game Pass was bundled with something you hated, I, whatever right. that is, fill in the blank, and you can't just cancel the thing you hate. That would cancel your Game mm-hmm. Pass. That's the way cable worked, and so we do have a little more control there. But again, at the same, if you subscribe to all of these subscription services, it is not cheaper than cable, and it it is not cheaper in any world. Nope. You're paying more, but Absolutely, you don't yeah. have to subscribe to all of them. Mm-hmm. All right, Super Chat here from Assassin, who says, I know it's way too early to ask, but I'm going to. Appreciate you. Uh, Jeff, Miles, what do you think will be at the Game Awards for Xbox? Oh, and Stream and Chat says, you have nice hair, Miles. Thank you for being awesome. Well, thank you for the kind words. That's very sweet of you. You know, I try to make sure my hair's looking good for y'all every Saturday morning, so I appreciate it. Uh, Jeff, <laughs> what is Xbox going to have at the Game Awards? Is it uh is it gonna be the Hellblade 2 trailer? Uh like like saying, hey, here's the next trailer at the next Game Awards thing. They did the last one at the Game Awards, right? I can't remember. <sighs> was it game it might I'm getting confused if it was Game Awards or like a summer thing where they showed the actual gameplay. Because we got I I think you're right. I think we got the weird kind of developer update video in summer, and then we got the gameplay tra- Yes, because Jeff was talking about this being something he couldn't believe was actual gameplay. Right. So and that's I how they started probably, the show. I think it's probably Hellblade. I think it's probably um, Forza. And then maybe, maybe another chance to look at Starfield, but Starfield is on such its own path. Do they feel the need to bring it to the Game Awards? I don't know. Um, I, 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 think it's, I, I think it's probably another time to take another look at Hellblade. That seems like the most likely one. Uh, and then uh, that goes into maybe timing out a date for later in 2023. Um, you know, probably that makes sense. That sounds right to me. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Hellblade, the full official. I mean, we have seen gameplay, but I think people still really want to know like what the what the gameplay will be because that was a very cinematic scene that we that we experienced. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have question marks about the combat and what what does that look like. So I think that we would get a nice slice of that to showcase what this is and then maybe like you said they'll confirm that this is coming in 2023 no yep, i don't imagine we right. get a date or even a window but outside of a 2023 um yeah. do you think we'll see the the kojima project because there was the uh, weird leaks and stuff surrounding overdose that came out and somebody yeah, somehow it, got it's a always trailer. a safe bet for the for kojima to be at a keely thing right so yeah, I, I, I think so. I think maybe. Yeah, because it's 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 Kojima, and he likes to cut his own trailers to do the work on stuff. Uh-huh. He doesn't need to have gameplay ready to go. He could have some, maybe, but he doesn't have to. He could just do whatever he wants. It's Kojima. So 
Yeah, I think Kojima probably does show up with the Xbox thing. If if, if it's not like, like Death Stranding 2 or whatever. Yeah, uh, I, I imagine he's going to be there in some project. capacity announcing yeah. his, his new, second new podcast or, or whatever it right. might be. Yes. But he's definitely going to be there. And I think considering the last two times he was on a Jeff show and it was just kind of weird, like he was there, but he didn't mm, talk about it. He said, I'm working on a game. Okay, cool. And then, hey, I have a podcast. Okay, cool. I th- think we're a little overdue for something a little more tangible at a Jeff show with Kojima. Uh, the, the, the real demo for Abandoned, finally. Oh, thank God. It's fu- the Silent <laughs> Hill Kojima project. That's the last yes. surprise that Konami didn't have at the Silent Hill showcase because it was just too big. Mm-hmm. It was too, too big. They, they were like, no, we need to hold this back even further. We're going to punish people for guessing it right. Uh-huh. And then outside of that, it's Xbox usually has a few things. And they've had a history of doing some new announcements. Uh, I just don't know if if we're going to get new announcements or updates on stuff they've previously announced. But I think it's safe to say we'll see a handful of noteworthy Xbox things because they they like Jeff. But as we've heard from Matt Booty and other teammates recently, things like Fable and some of their other projects, they're leery about showing things until they're they're ready. So if they don't have anything exciting to show, as much as people just want any sort of update, I don't think we'll get a bunch of CG trailers for stuff again after after people's complaints. I, yes, that that seems like a safe bet. I think they're they're over it, so I think I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, you touched on this briefly, but as part of this Wall Street Journal live conversation, Phil Spencer has confirmed that Xbox Game Pass is profitable. They're making money. There's been a lot of internet speculation and conversations about, you know, how is this profitable? I don't think it's profitable. And so there's been a lot of people speculating on it and speculating what developers are getting paid, despite the fact that we've had developers come out and say that I am getting paid well. And we've had people like Phil Spencer come out and say, why do you care if this is making money or not? Um, But now he has straight up said that it is profitable and we've gotten some information about Game Pass. So Phil Spencer has said that it's profitable and it generates or it represents about 10 to 15 percent of the overall Xbox revenue. Um, this kind of feels like a weird direct response to, to the speculation online. Like, I feel like that's the only reason that they, they brought this up, really, is because people have just been questioning it. And there's been articles and speculation online that have gained traction about it. Um, another component of this conversation was about Xbox Game Pass growth. And so Phil Spencer said that Xbox Game Pass is growing, but also took some time to say that that growth is slowing down. Mm-hmm. He had a comment basically talking about at a certain point, you've, you've more or less reached the people who want to subscribe to a service. And I thought that was interesting. We've also gotten some reports this week that say this is the second year in a row that Xbox has missed its Xbox Game Pass growth targets, which I think is really interesting. Apparently for fiscal year... Uh, that ended in June 2022, they were targeting a 73% in growth for Game Pass and only managed 28%. They fell dramatically short of those expectations. So when you look at these numbers, when you look at these lofty growth metrics, what does Xbox need to do to hit a 73% increase in growth year over year? Yeah, I, it's... um. I, I guess first, uh, like the, they their best year uh, since they've been revealing those numbers of like their internal growth targets 
and and then the actual reality uh there was one year where they wanted to get like 75 percent, and they got like 86 percent. and then the following year they were going for uh 40 so they were going for like another like 70 percent. they got like 45 percent. now they're mm-hmm. going 75 percent again and they got the 28 percent growth um i think 28 percent growth is still a really big number especially as the because yeah. the bigger it's a 20 percent growth of a bigger number than it was in the previous years yep. uh and and those these tar- internal targets are for satya nadella's like payment package these are bonuses if he hits these numbers so it's like oh we're tying some of your pay to hitting these 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 bonus levels so i think these targets have always been a bit lofty like you said mm-hmm. So, uh, but regardless, I mean, obviously you could look at it like the rate of, of growth is dropping. It was, you know, 86% and 45% or whatever it was. And then now 28%. So you would expect, and they're probably looking at this, probably one of the reasons he did come out and have this conversation. He's probably looking at it and be like, well, we're going to reveal this next year and we're going to miss our targets again because we're on, on a pace throughout this fiscal year of maybe like 14, 15% growth. Uh, that's still, again, of a bigger number, it's still pretty good, but it's not the levels uh, that something like a Disney Plus is doing. Um, now, Disney Plus doesn't have uh, movies with microtransactions in them, so it's a kind of a completely different, the beast of a different color. But regardless, like they still want to have that, they wanted to have that kind of growth. They're not having that kind of growth. So what do they need to do to hit it? Well, release some games would help. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, mean uh, I think that number was, you know, set when they had Redfall and Starfield. On, yeah. on the table exactly yeah i mean like I mean, it ended in june well yeah one of those might have came out uh redfall might have come out in time for that uh but you know starfield was always going to come out in november so after that initial period but that, yeah like starfield might not even come out during this next fiscal year if it comes out in the like you know july or the period next year then it will miss the entire 12 month microsoft fiscal year and yeah those numbers are going to pay the price um I think releasing big games that people can't possibly ignore, that'll help. Getting Call of Duty in there, that'll help. Yeah. Uh, you got to imagine, people say like, oh, people, the people that play Call of Duty, they only play Call of Duty. They're just going to buy Call of Duty. They don't only buy Call of Duty. They also buy Xbox Live Gold. And if you are someone who is like, well, if I buy Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, I get gold and I get the game and it's all just built in there for me. And then I get all this other stuff that maybe my friends are always are always bothering me to play with them. Well, I mean, I could see that that should move some numbers. It might not be the the hundred uh, percent growth, but I bet it's a significant double digit percentage growth for for that platform. The way Spencer's talking though, he's like, well, we don't ever expect that to happen. We're always it's Game Pass is always going to be fifteen percent. I don't. That's the part I don't know if I buy or if he's just biding time until they can get to the next. I, I wonder if they're looking at the future and saying. Game Pass is probably going to be 10 to 15% of our business throughout the rest of this generation. And there will be chances to take major leaps forward in the future, uh, but we are not prepared for those yet. We are getting set up for those. But right now, for this rest of this generation, this is where we we're, where we want it to be. And the good news is, in the meantime, we're still selling a lot of games when we do sell games. And um, people are buying a lot of third-party games and a lot of microtransactions and services that aren't even aren't Game Pass are doing really well on here. So... Uh, and so we're going to focus on growing the entire breadth of our business for the rest of this generation. And then we'll we'll make sure the Game Pass is well served in t- terms of keeping it healthy and making sure there's a lot of content coming to it. Uh, but we're not expecting some light switch to flip on where Game Pass does just suddenly replace everything. That was maybe the feeling that I think a lot of people had about the potential for Game Pass through the last couple of years. It's like Microsoft wants Game Pass to be everything. And now that's 
they're saying explicitly, no, we don't want it to be everything. We are happy with where it's at and we don't need it to be more than 15%. And that's, that's going to require a little shift on people's thinking and expectations for what Game Pass is going to be. And, you know, but again, Microsoft well set up to continue. If you want Game Pass, get it. If you want to buy these games, do that. They, are, they have never said anything about taking away your options. It's always been as many options as possible. And if you're someone's like, I, I hate the idea of Game Pass. I want to own my games. Microsoft will happily sell you video games. So I, I think they've maybe reached equal, equilibrium and we just got to wait and see what's going to happen with once those big games start coming out. And then once they start getting the Microsoft store on mobile, is that going to change things? Probably not. But they seem to think like, well, we're going to get positioned in case that could work. We're, we're going to be ready for it. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about this conversation is that time and time again, Microsoft has come out and said that this is a part of our business, but when it comes to Xbox, Game Pass isn't going to be the primary vessel for our business. Obviously, with subscription services, as we see with Final Fantasy subs, it's recurring revenue, and that just gives you this nice buffer, this nice cushion that, you know, no matter what, if a game doesn't quite hit in the way it, it does, it needs to for launch, you're not completely out of money. And so that is why it's nice to have that, that stable foundation. I think Xbox Game Pass has done a good job keeping people who are subscribed happy. Like, I've been very happy with the offerings for this year. There's been stuff that I've played consistently. Uh, Metal Hellslinger. Uh, there's been a lot of really great games that are worth playing for a lot of people. Yeah. But, and again, I love Game Pass. Don't, don't take this the wrong way. They haven't had the standouts that they need to really grow. When you look at your Disney Pluses, when you look at your early Netflixes and they have the, the media, the shows, the, the games that dominate the conversation that every single person needs to be a part of and needs to talk about and needs to play. Those are the games that grow the subscription service. And the yeah. goal should be to grow and then retain that when you're looking at a business strategy, that is the ultimate strategy is to grow and then keep consistent things. It doesn't have to be the biggest things over and over, but you need the big pop if you want to see growth. They've had growth. They've they've said the Game Pass is profitable. Their their business is up. So they're not hurting in any sense of the word, but mm -mm. they haven't had those games that pull people in who are who are skeptical. They, again, I love indie stuff, but when we look at general audiences, when we look at mass appeal, when we look at overall growth for the platform, Xbox hasn't delivered this and again, nobody's defending xbox this year in terms of their first party output no output. everyone fully gets it it was a dropped ball it was it's not not a great look it of course it's hurt by ongoing contracts from companies they've acquired that had to make playstation exclusives and things like that but mm -hmm. okay that's not our problem exactly we, 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 we still would have liked to see some games this year nope nothing you you're promising you know some your biggest and best games in your subscription service that, is, that has been yeah. your pro that's been your selling point and then you go a year without doing that and it's, you know, I would say with all of that considered, 28% is still impressive. Exactly. Without and a I'm, single I, that, big release. That sounds like it's just so much of that is coming from uh, selling new hardware and people getting Game Pass alongside it because it just makes sense. If you're going to get an Xbox, you're going to get Game Pass. At least a certain percentage of people are going to do that. And they're selling a lot of Xboxes. I mean, that was the one another point that uh, he made, I think. Someone made this. 40% of Xbox Series S, I think, purchasers yeah, Satya are new to the Xbox. Yeah, Satya does. Like, that's, they're new to uh, the Xbox ecosystem. I mean, that, that sounds like potential for growth. I bet they are growing a lot there, but I bet that number would be even higher if if there were big games there. If it, if it wasn't just the discovery engine that I think a lot of people in chat are bringing up, hey, I discovered Signalis, 
or I played the Forgotten City in there, or you know, some of my game of the games of the year, yeah, Game Pass, The Outer yeah. Wilds, like yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, absolutely. But as someone who like talks about games, I know that like a lot of that is I need to convince people to go out and check this out, and it's awesome. It's on Game Pass. That helps, but that is a bottom up approach. And what Game Pass desperately needs is the top down, like commanding attention from we have the biggest game. If you know this is this was never going to happen, but if Elden Ring was in Game Pass day one, the biggest game in the world for the last several, like from if you like look at every game for the release in the last couple of years, one of the biggest games in the world ever, it like that's the kind of level that they need to draw attention, uh -huh. and it's um and and that they want to get there, they know they need to get there. That's why they're spending so much money. They're like we we want to spend the money to make that happen. They're just not there yet, and it's not like um Game Pass is alone and uh, having like slow periods of growth. PlayStation Plus, a massively successful subscription program for Sony, made a lot of money. One of the big reasons that Sony has not seen a big dip as they started a new generation, where if you look at their trends in the past, they a transition from PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2, they lost a ton of money. Transition from PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3, they lost a fuck ton of money. PlayStation 3 to PlayStation 4, they lost a lot of money. They are continue to be super profitable through these early years of PlayStation 5 because of PlayStation Plus. But PlayStation Plus's numbers have stagnated. They are not growing much. In some in some years, they're dropping. Uh, so it's like they that's why they rejiggered PlayStation Plus to try to find a way to jumpstart mm -hmm. that growth. But at a certain point, you sell that product to as many people as that want to buy it, and there's no one left to sell it to, even if you're PlayStation. So of course, Microsoft is going to hit that number as well with with Game Pass. I think they've recognized that, and now it's time for a strategy shift while they buy time until the the big things that are coming in the future. You know, Starfield, Call of Duty, uh, and then potentially releasing this thing in a way that feels like it does make sense on mobile devices and on every TV in the world. And they figured out whatever that strategy looks like that. Yeah, those are big chances for big growth, but they have they're not there yet. And in the meantime, the Xbox, the, the driver of the growth is 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 kind of this barrier because only so many people on there are going to make the purchase. There's been a lot of really great games that they've leaned into heavily, which I greatly appreciate. Um, I'm always championing weird niche games, and yeah, I'm always I mean, I'm screaming that, about... My most anticipated game is Pentiment right now. Yeah. Definitely, it's my most anticipated game. I know there's uh, a lot of laughter from that about that game from uh, like PlayStation podcasts or whatever, because they think it looks like a joke, and I'm like, oh, honey, you're just... You're telling on yourself that you don't really like video games. <laughs> like This looks like such a promising thing to me, where it's got this wood art style... And then it's made, it's a murder mystery, like RPG from the people that made New Vegas. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm come there on. day one. Uh, but that's the bottom up. It's the, it's the conversation bubbling up from the community. And, and word of mouth is a powerful thing. Uh, but, there, but word of mouth also works from that top-down approach when you are commanding attention and you are an Elden Ring. That is real word of mouth power. And uh, and Game Pass continues to be absent of that. And the, I don't think anyone disagrees with that. Yeah, and again, Game Pass still great. Xbox, I, they have done a decent job curating Game Pass. And I think there's been every single month, there are several games that I look at and say, dope. I'm stoked to play that. I was gonna, I would buy that otherwise. So that is cool. I'm going to play it. Let's go. So this isn't to downplay what Xbox is doing because realistically what they've been doing is everything that they possibly can without having those games ready. Because that's just the reality of where they're at right now. And we can say, oh, I can't believe they didn't do this or I can't believe... And, that doesn't change the situation. That doesn't change where they are. That doesn't change the the fact that Starfield and Redfall are delayed. It doesn't. It's not going to make these games come faster. So it doesn't really help to fixate on it too much at this point. Right. Um. But again, nobody is 
defending X- Xbox's output this year because it's yeah it's- I mean, it was always going to be twenty twenty three I mean twenty twenty two was going to be awesome with Starfield and maybe Redfall was going to be good and we were going to get Forza Motorsport uh, all that stuff was, was supposed to happen and it all got delayed fair enough. But even if even with that, even if all those games came out, 2023 was supposed to have a ton of games released from Microsoft. It was always supposed to be a good year. A lot of those games probably will also get pushed into 2024. But now some of them should hit alongside a delayed Starfield, which increases expectations even more. And a Redfall that was delayed increases mm-hmm. expectations even more. 2023 needs to deliver for Xbox. And if it doesn't, I don't blame people for asking the question, what are we doing here? You're spending so much money. And uh, and you're trying to make Game Pass work, and clearly, okay, you're happy with it now. Uh, but you still need to make this this overall thing grow. And how are you going to do that when you are releasing games that aren't as good as they possibly can be? I think they probably will. I have high hopes. Um, I think Microsoft it has delayed many of the games that it did, wasn't even going to release on Xbox right away, like Deathloop, to give it a chance to be the best possible game it could be on PlayStation. And if they're going to do that, they're going to do that for their own games. And I'm I'm so I'm hopeful that they see the potential to just push a game from an 80 to a 90 on Metacritic and uh, and recognize that requires a significant more a significant increase in uh, investment and time and, and talent. But that in the end, it's going to be worth it because it's going to push everything over the top. And you're not going to just kind of push stuff out because, well, we'll be on Game Pass. People could try it to see if they like it. Now, put out a game that people can't help but like. We need a lot of those. Yeah, and again, a lot of us are excited about the uh, the future and and this vision because on on paper it is really exciting and the possibilities are are huge. But mm-hmm. at a certain point, you can only ask your audience and your community to wait for so long before they get restless. And we're we're beyond that point, as we've seen with yeah. a lot of people who are heavily invested in the space. A lot of the casual audience, whatever, they're playing whatever they want, whenever they want, and that's that's fine. But a lot of the people invested in the Xbox ecosystem are growing impatient because they've been told the same thing year and year. Oh, just, just wait, just wait. Yeah. And at a certain that's point, the, that's the audience who this is for, right? Cause that's, they're yes. going to feel antsy for, if you are new to the ecosystem, get game pass, at least oh, for you're a while. Set. If you, if yeah, you haven't been playing games the last few years. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. And if you're like curious, like maybe there's a kind of game you, you might like that you've never tried before. Definitely get game pass. Like you're going to discover stuff you wouldn't otherwise try. And that's part of the magic of it. But, uh, it's just this getting it to the next level of being a thing that you can't live without. That's where they're stuck. And we're going to get there eventually, but they're stuck there now. Yeah. Uh, Super chat from Nick W says, how are you guys doing? And what is your favorite Treehouse of horror episode? Oh, dang. It is the, the weekend before Halloween. You mm-hmm. have a favorite, the Simpsons yeah. Treehouse of Horror episode. We were just talking about this on uh, on Game Master Decides. I think my favorite still is that 3D world one where yes. they um, turn into CG characters. I like that a lot. That that was going to yeah. be my pick as well. Yeah. Such an iconic moment when they get sucked from the animated world of the Simpsons into the real mm-hmm. world, and there are these like really early nine, maybe late nineties CG. Yeah, so good. That's yeah, uh, this year apparently they're doing an anime one uh, where they the did. whole family gets turned into an anime. So I'm they're like, doing full episodes this because they did an it one. They did a full episode were, that was okay. an it parody, and then they're doing a full episode that's Death Note, I guess. Yes, Death Note. That's right. And I think okay. they got the well, original animation team. Correct that's me if I'm very wrong cool. There for Death Note. So okay. Yeah. Acquisition time, Jeff. You ready? You ready to talk about let's some acquisition? It's always acquisition time, baby. Let's go. Again, we are seeing people throw money around like we've never seen before, and that's why these these rumors and conversations are are so prevalent and and 
ongoing because at some point, you know, it's not unheard of for every single person to be bought by somebody in, in some world, in some timeline. The latest ones come from an industry analyst, Rythian, who has come out on Twitter and said that Sony has approached CD Projekt Red, quote, multiple times about a potential acquisition. He goes on to claim that the main reason that CDPR announced so many projects simultaneously was to look healthier and a better offer for potential buyers. So, Jeff... You think, do you think there's any credibility to this rumor that PlayStation is eyeballing and talking to actively CD Projekt Red about an acquisition? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's like they're the right size. Um, they uh, fit with the model that uh, I think like, or that PlayStation is very into of globally appealing games, games that could sell very well. Um and they also were, you know, they're also promising to work on multiplayer games, something that Sony wants more of. Uh, yeah, I, I bet that there's at least conversations happening. I bet they're not. I bet it doesn't only involve PlayStation. I bet there's some other offers on the table, maybe uh, from from other places. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is like the big follow up to spending money on Bungie. You go out and do a similar amount of money, maybe a little bit more for for CDPR. And yeah, I, it. It makes sense. And then, you know what you could do with, with, with uh, Cyberpunk and with, with Witcher? You can make movies and you make TV shows, something Sony also loves to do. So, yeah, I, I think it, it fits really well. And um, it's probably not as, as expensive as acquiring like a Square Enix or something like that. And the payoff might be even better because you don't have to change a ton. You just got to shore up the, the, the shortcomings that led to Cyberpunk 2077's launch. And that's a lot easier. Um, and the hard parts were always having big IPs that appeal to people and having successful games. Well, they've already done that side of things. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if this ends up happening, but of course, everyone's always talking to everybody. So the fact, just the fact that there's conversations happening does not mean this will result in anything real. Yeah. And again, I can't really speak to the, the credibility. I haven't seen any other accounts verify this information. I've just seen a lot of folks within the community talking about this particular acquisition and it's interesting to me only because we had so many people come out, so many, I would say, gamers, if you will, come out and say that they were really stoked about CD Projekt Red's strategy of announcing all their entire roadmap of games, how they want to see people do that. My first thought was that was not for you. That that idea, these code names, the, uh, the fact that these projects exist, that was not for you. That was for getting money for those projects. Uh, whether it be investors or acquisitions, that is the reason you lay out your entire slate. All, you put all your cards on the table in that way is to get those conversations going, or if those conversations are going, get more people looking at you so you can drive up that value if someone is talking to you about an acquisition. Because if you are selling, you want to make sure you're getting the most money possible. And if you have a bunch of compelling projects in the work from franchises that people love, like The Witcher... And, and cyberpunk following the success of the anime and the resurgence of the player base, that makes you more enticing than, say, shortly after the launch of uh, Cyberpunk 2077. So mm -hmm. it's not impossible, and it, it does seem like with uh, CDPR's recent messaging and their approach that they are probably having those conversations. I don't know with who. I can't say if it's Sony. I can't probably say a lot. A, probably a lot of people probably a lot of conversations with CDPR. Yeah. Yeah. And we know 10 cents a figure. We know people bring up Sony first, but there's a lot of people looking at that and saying, okay, 
what's the potential here? What, how much mm-hmm. money can I make? Is this worth it? And C- CDPR right now is in a much better position. And so they can leverage that because there were a lot of rumors shortly after the launch of uh, Cyberpunk saying, oh, now's the time to buy him because their value is tanking. Mm-hmm. But that's probably not the best deal for you if you are that company. But now, you know, things have mellowed out. People are less upset about Cyberpunk. And so now you can swing that to your benefit. Get a little more money if you are actively trying to sell. Yeah, and it's uh, Tim Purr and Chet says that uh, uh, market cap for uh, CDPR is $12.4 billion. That's uh that's in Polish uh, currency. It's actually about 2.5 billion in U S dollars. Uh, that seems like a, a, the right amount where, okay. So the premium on the top of that, let's just double it 5 billion uh, to, to actually acquire them. That is well within a lot of companies reach. Um, that's within, you know, if embracer group could, could fund that with money from Europe uh, or from Saudi Arabia, uh, which they've done before. Uh, but you know, Tencent would definitely be interested. They are looking for more companies that have global appeal because they're not sure about the future of what it's like to uh, make games in China and sell games in China. Like even they are treated pretty poorly there. So they're looking for ways to make money globally. That would be a good fit. Uh, NetEase is doing the same thing, trying to bring in. Although they've been mostly poaching talent from other studios. So maybe buying CDPR makes more sense in this case because it comes with those big IP, and and they would be on the offer table where. You know, maybe Sega wasn't for 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 whatever reason. Uh, there's a there's like a row or a list of of uh, potential acquisition, uh, uh, you know, acquirers that make a lot of sense. So there could be a little bit of a fight here. In the end, though, I think that PlayStation probably could scrounge that money together. It would be a little bit more expensive to borrow that now, but uh, it also would it would move the needle and it would kind of deliver the kinds of things that they are really into. So I could see it happening um, if, if for no other reason, like, oh, we don't want to be in a situation where we don't have access to these games because the Witcher games feel like they're too big not to have access to going forward. Yeah, because we know that Xbox has kind of scooped up a lot of the premier Western RPG developers. A lot right. of the, the biggest RPG franchises uh, on the Western side are now Xbox properties. And so mm-hmm. if you're and in a situation where a lot of people are looking at CDPR and you're Sony and you're like, we can't really lose another. If we lose, let's say, a Witcher and we have we don't have Fallout, we don't have Elder Scrolls, we don't have Witcher, we don't have anything from Obsidian, like that that's a lot. That's a lot to not have. And much yep. like you'll Xbox, still get you'll still get from games, you'll still get, you know, Dragon's Dogma, but you know, like when it comes to those Western style RPGs, ooh, that's a big question mark. That's a big hit. So yeah, it is interesting. It is really but again. As you touch on, that amount isn't too egregious for a lot of people to be considering it, if, if that is the reality. So, um, again, it's not a $70 billion where you can only say, well, only a really small handful of people can do that. This a couple billion, a lot of players right now in the space are willing to throw down a couple billion if that guarantees them some great content. And mm-hmm. a lot of people love CDPR. They put out some of the best RPGs. or Yeah, they put out some of the best RPGs ever made. So... There's, there's some value to that. Yep, agreed. A quick super chat here from Georgie who says, Grub, why don't Xbox revive Shadowrun and Mech Assault? There's a, yeah, there is they, some speculation about Shadowrun, isn't there? Yeah, one of those projects, those project names that was going around was referring to Shadowrun. Does that mean it's going to turn into anything real that people can one day play? I don't know. But they, it was definitely something that they be, they've begun investigating. So... Uh, and that, that's a report from a while ago. I'm sure if you go Google it, 
Uh, you'll find people writing that up uh, that we've talked about that before. But uh, Mechasalt, I don't know. Mechasalt, do they they still have like some of the IP rights to that, right? I can't remember exactly it, how that it, works. I think it's kind of a mess, but yes. It's kind of a mess. So so was the so was Shadowrun, which but I think it's like they did the work to figure Shadowrun out. Maybe they'll do the same thing for Mechasalt. It would be cool. I I mean, a lot of us grew up playing those, especially early Xbox. The Mech Assault stuff was great. It was such an iconic pillar of early PC gaming, early Xbox gaming. So it would be cool for that audience. We've seen some spiritual successors kind of come and go. And I wonder if that's the primary reason that they're not jumping on it. Because none of those set the world on fire, I don't think. Mm -hmm. All right, Jeff, we got to get to... The big debate, the big showdown of the show today. I'm going to lean into the audience as well on this one. Uh, but this week I dropped an editorial uh, uh, mostly about video game ownership and our, our, the evolution of video game ownership over the years and how far it's come in a rel relatively short period of time and how a lot of these publishers are shifting our expectations kind of subconsciously about what we're okay with in terms of ownership. And... Mm -hmm talked about whether or not that was good, bad, X, Y, Z, but a, a portion of this editorial focused on the, the infighting between the physical and digital crowd. You have a lot of people, you have your physical cultists online who say the Absolutely. only way to own something is to buy a physical copy. That's, you, know, you don't buy digital, that's on you. You bought digital, you don't get to own it. The only way to own it is to buy it physically. So where do you stand, team physical, team digital? Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on Team Digital, I, uh, and it, it really comes down to uh, this feels like a losing battle. Um, market forces are too powerful, and uh, therefore I'm just going to accept my lot in life, and that means what is, uh, let me just do what's most convenient instead of trying to, like, you know, go ahead and, and brandish a sword at windmills. Uh, I'm not going to be able to fight against the, these giant forces, so... Uh, what works for me, having all my games on the system ready to go when I want them to go. And if some weirdness happens with ownership, uh, okay, that's a risk I'll take. I'll get mad and I'll be frustrated, but it's it's pretty rare, pretty infrequent. And I, in, in the end, it's way more convenient for me to have everything at the touch of, you know, I, I don't like having a shelf full of games, actually. I prefer to have other kinds of trinkets in my room as decorations, not the games themselves, so let me just have it all ready to go, and that works for me. Uh, but if, hey, if you're a physical person, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> because we are seeing a shift. Whether you like it yep. or not, whether you want to accept it or not, most of the biggest games now, it doesn't. You, you can buy the physical disc, and it doesn't mean much of anything. Call of Duty, infamously right now, Modern Warfare 2, if you buy that disc, a whopping 70 megabytes are on that disc. You can't do anything with that disc if you're not connected to the internet. And yep. so that's, if you want to buy Call of Duty, you want to play the campaign for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, buying physical is not a solution. I'm nope. team digital as well for the, the reasons you spoke on convenience, baby. Convenient. I have lit, I have games that I physically own on this shelf. It's four feet from me. Four feet, Jeff. I have rebought those games digitally because I don't want to give the disc. <laughs> yep. All right? Again, maybe I'm part of the problem here, but again, the convenience... You just can't beat it. And there have been rare instances where a license gets pulled. A game that I own, I go to like reinstall it randomly. The whole Scott Pilgrim thing, I completely forgot that that got pulled until I went to play it a few years back and it was just gone. And I was like, oh yeah, I can't play that game anymore. Now it's back, it's been re-released. But if you want to play it, you got to buy it again. You got to rebuy this game you already own because mm -hmm. they relisted it under a different license. So 
it's a messy, complicated situation that I think definitely the physical folks oversimplify. No offense if you're if you're team physical. I, I feel you. I get you. You want to own it. You want that tangible sense of ownership. When I look at my personal history with music and movies in particular, I used to buy a lot of CDs, compact discs for you for you youngsters out there. Uh -huh. I used to buy CDs constantly. I used to buy DVDs constantly and Blu-rays even constantly. And then that went away. I, I didn't care whatsoever about having the physical discs and DVDs. And with subscription services, stuff like Game Pass and others popping up, what are your thoughts on your current sense of ownership? Do you really you care if you own a game or not? Um, I, I, I don't super duper care. It's, it's, uh, cause it's like, again, it's like, I can't, you know, these legal agreements, when you download something, you buy something they're you know, they're thousands of words. And I, that alone feels like so much that it's so difficult to deal with that. It's kind of, um, it, it, it it's, it, yeah, I'm like, again, tilting at windmills, windmills. And I, I just don't want to even think about it. So it's like, listen, if, if I have to pretend like I have full ownership over a digital thing just to make myself feel better. I'll do that. Yeah, it's delusional, maybe. But again, I just don't feel like I have the power to change it. And collecting the physical games doesn't actually protect me all that much either. Because like you said, so many of these big ones are you're still downloading. You're just on the disc. It's just an installer, 70 kilobyte file or whatever. And that's laughable, too. Uh, it's just like redirecting you to a store, a store listing on the Xbox store. Um I, you know, but, you know, every time we come across something where a game does get delisted, everyone's like, well, that's why you got to buy physical games. And so I don't feel like that's going to be the answer for much longer. I, I guess my, my, my big thing here is, you know, are these companies going to continue making physical games into the next generation? It feels like that's a real question that I bet they are significantly weighing the possibility of not doing that. We've already moved in that direction on PC. Mobile gaming has never been physical it's all been just downloading stuff from a store uh, there's precedent for this and it hasn't hurt selling games on the, either of those platforms if anything they're doing both are doing better than ever uh so mm -hmm. you know can console and can like follow suit well there'll be a little bit more pain because people are so accustomed to doing things so changing things up will hurt uh but like if we if they do go all digital for the next like the playstation 6 I mean, I don't think people are going to stop gaming just because of that. I know a lot of people, some people say they will. Like, hey, if I can't have physical games, I'm done. I don't believe them. I think they will probably come along with the rest of us. They, and kicking the, and well, screaming, they will yes. cave. And yeah, while the rest of us are like sort of just making that decision for them. I know, you know, Microsoft wanted to get us all uh, buying digital on the Xbox One so mm -hmm. that we couldn't sell our games used or whatever. And now they've just made it so convenient that we've just made this choice for them. And that that's always been the plan. I, I can see through it as well as anyone else. I just don't care. It's just working for me. So, oh, well. And that's, again, that's kind of where I'm at. Because I have this internal conflict where yeah, it is kind of frustrating that I know that I don't really own anything in a genuine sense. Like nobody wants to give us the option to be able to sell digital games. We have no control over di our digital libraries. You can access access them on this machine and that's it. That is all you can do with this stuff that you own. And inherently, you know, that's a little upsetting. It's a little annoying. Mm -hmm. But again, then I just think about the convenience and I just think about how easy it is to access all those games and how everything's stored here. I don't have to do anything. It's just there. I just hit a button and I play it. I don't have to swap media. I don't have to worry about keeping my media clean and safe. It's just it's all stored in the the ether. And yep. I do wonder 
Is there a way for those, those purists who talk about ownership, who need ownership? Again, you touched on PC where digital only has just been the standard for a long time. Is there a way to provide that sense of ownership on the digital side? Because I do agree with you. I think a lot of publishers very rapidly are going to move away from physical releases. We've already seen it happen with a lot of smaller games, even Capcom. Capcom has come out recently and talked about how 91% of their sales very recently has been digital versus 9%. Mm -hmm. They're already releasing games that are digital only. So is there any sort of solution for the, the, the not the physical purists, but the people who want to actually own something? And can that be done digitally or are we just reserved to or resigned to accept our, our ethereal ownership? And, and the, obviously the answer is NFTs, baby. Let's do it. I'm so glad you said it. Quick plug for uh, coin, bit, bitcoinpurse.com. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that uh, like Steam does a lot of fun stuff with uh, giving you uh, Steam cards when you buy stuff and, and creating an ecosystem for, for that. And I bet a lot of those people are people who probably would be into physical if that was still a thing on uh, on Steam and on PC. But um I, there, there will be no perfect replacement for this. I, I think the honest answer is, um, you know, a company that does, that was doing that, you know, these these limited run companies, if if we do get to a generation where there are, is no disc on a system, they could still like like maybe shift to being like, oh, we'll, we'll still sell you like a box and maybe there'll be a poster in there and some collectibles and some artwork you can hang up on your wall. Uh, and and then you can still put this disc up on your shelf if you want. And I think a lot of people be like, will scoff at that, but it might be the kind of thing where hey, this serves a very tiny audience, the kind of audience that's still into vinyl, and that will be where it makes the most sense. I think it'll be a little bit bigger than that, and it will be a little bit messier than that because again, gamers are just so loud. But um, it, yeah, nothing's going to be perfectly replacing the act of owning a game. What what I would like to see on the physical side, we've seen this with film. Um, when you buy a physical Blu-ray, um, oftentimes you get a digital code for that as well. I think that would be a nice medium for the folks who want yeah. the physical copy. They want the disc, even though even in some cases, if there's nothing on it, they still have that physical disc there. They still have that sense of ownership, but then that's supplemented. So you, you have that digital code as well. I, I would love to see that just become the standard. And again, lean into it like you do vinyl, make it a cool collector's thing for bigger releases. Because I think that's really what it's going to be relocated to moving forward is that collector's audience. Because again, there are people like me who grew up and you would open up your SNES box and you would you would smell the instruction manual. You would have the cardboard. You'd have this this big tangible brick that said, I own this, this is mine. And in some ways I miss that. But in this day and age, I wouldn't. I don't want to buy a bunch of cartridges. I don't have. I have boxes yeah. of cartridges in my closet. I don't touch. I would rather just have all those games on my Switch that I can easily access, which I can thanks to Nintendo Switch Online. But um, yeah, it is. It's interesting. It's just got me. I've just been conflicted recently because I see so yeah. many people fight about what's right and what's wrong. And I it's, think and, and the, the, the sad thing about that fight is it just feels like it's already over. Uh, and, and, and if you are on the physical side, I'm sorry, but it's moving in the digital direction very fast. And there's just too much money on that side of things, too much money to be saved and too much money to be earned because it's just, it is a, a bigger potential audience down the line. It's just easier for people to buy things digitally than mm -hmm. 
finding a store. I mean, as, as weird as that sounds, like oh, going to the store is a big act. Like it, it requires a lot. Uh, even ordering online, have it physically delivered. It's like, well, you know, I got to wait for it. Uh, my friends are already the, playing this game. I got my yeah. delivery got delayed a day. What? Yeah. It's uh, so it's uh, it's going to save them a lot of money. It's going to make them even more money. They're going to do it. Uh, and either you come along or you don't, I think at a certain point they'll be like, well, too bad. Well, we would rather leave you behind than have to uh, continue uh, printing discs just for you. That's, yeah. Think of the planet, Jeff. All right, physical gamers, do you hate the environment? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. Let's All greenwash right? this debate. Hell yeah. Exactly, dude. Are you buying books? You're the problem. Yeah, you're killing the planet. You're killing the planet. Take that. I'll take my moral <laughs> high ground on this issue. Yeah, we won. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, I appreciate you. That is going to do it for this week's Thanks, episode. Um, huge shout out to everyone who tuned in, hung out, dropped super chats, supported the show. Huge shout out to you. I always love having you on. Always love chatting with you. One more time for the folks joining us. Where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, johnbomb.com. I'm doing stuff all throughout the week. Every morning uh, at 11 a.m. Eastern, if you want to come hang out and watch Game Mess Mornings, just go to twitch.tv slash giantbomb. Uh, it's, a, it's a good time. We talk about game news for about an hour each day, except for Tuesday, which uh, which we do uh, the news on the Bombcast. Uh, and then go to uh, discord.gg slash game mess. Join my Discord. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening in the game mess community. It's a fun place to hang out. And then you can get access to all the uh, other stuff I do as part of the game mess c community and podcasts and things like that and streaming and mic streams and all that. Yeah, come hang out with us there. I'd really appreciate it. Go show Jeff some love. I'm sure I see a lot of familiar faces in there, so I know some of you are already in there. But yeah, the Discord's Absolutely, a ton too. of fun. Giant Bomb's doing some amazing stuff if you haven't checked out what they're doing. Yeah. And Jeff, love you. Appreciate you. And Likewise, uh, I'm sure I'll get you back on here soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in the meantime, everyone else, have an amazing weekend. Have a fantastic Halloween. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>